Say, this is the Superhero Dad Podcast. This is the Superhero Dad Podcast. The Superhero Dad Podcast. There you go, buddy. Good job. So, Mark, we have the privilege to talk to an ex-teammate of ours, Spencer Mm -hmm. Pacinger, who is a fantastic human being. And honestly, when we were playing together, he was on the defensive side of the ball. So I didn't get a chance to spend as much time with him as you did. But every interaction I had, I could tell that he had a mindset that went far above and beyond the locker room. And I knew that as soon as he was done, even though you guys were younger at the time, I was like, that guy is going to do something pretty fantastic. And he definitely has. And it even started way before the New York Giants locker room. So I'm I'm pumped to talk to Spencer. Yeah, no, so cool. And, you know, for those of you who maybe don't recognize Spencer Pacing or the name, you might recognize the name Spencer James from the hit TV series, All American. That's right. Every time I turn on Netflix, it's the number one, like, most watched uh, show. And uh, so this life, this show is modeled after... Spencer Pacinger's life, who we had the pleasure of getting to know really well. And you talk about uh, just how he is so focused on on things outside of football. Yeah. He, he, I mean, unbelievable player, played in the league, won a Super Bowl. Yeah. However, he always had this creative mindset. And you, you see that come out um, through you know, this conversation that we have with him, through his TV show. Um, but it is so... Uh, formative the way he grew up uh just i cannot wait for you guys to hear spencer talk about just life and and this life of growing up in south crenshaw and going to school in beverly hills and the real story behind the all-american tv show spencer pacinger great guy great dad great husband and uh we had a great conversation here it is Spencer, thank you so much uh, for joining us on on this uh, podcast. I remember, gosh, I remember talking to you about a year ago when Dave and I started thinking about doing this Um, because you were one of the first guys. I was like, okay, Spencer, great dad, great dude. Also, you're a rock star now. So like a year later, your TV show, All-American. That's true. He's a rock star. Is on fire. It's amazing. (laughs) It's well, amazing. It really is. Well, thank you. It's 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 doing all right. Doing all right. So this is, <laughs> yeah. He, uh, Bill Belichick, humble pie. You t- you didn't just have a slice. You had the. I entire, do have a hoodie on. So yeah, you had the entire pie. Exactly. I was like, hey, we're doing this podcast. So my boys were asking me, and I'm like, it's Spencer pacing here, and one of my old teammates, and he's like, wait a minute, Spencer, like from the TV show, Spencer, like all American. I'm like, wait, what? I'm my bad. I'm the worst because I was like, no, it's Spencer. It's just Spencer. He's a great guy. Good dad. They're like, no, dad, you got to check this out, man. And so I have been binge watching and it's fantastic, dude. Yeah. It's an awesome show. I binge it too. It's like, so, you know, I don't know whether you guys had a show or what you did like in the middle of the night when you wake up to feed your babies or bottles, if you did that. Um, But all American is my show for that. So I'm up at like two in the morning getting a 45 minute bottle feeding slash 45 minute episode in. So I appreciate that. So thank you. So this is the superhero dad podcast, right? And so the reason why you're on here is not because of your show, all American, although it is super, um, and you yourself are a hero to many, but it's because you're also a superhero to Cairo and Madden, your two kids, and they are 
so stinking cute. They are amazing. And Cairo is about to turn four, right? Yeah, Cairo's about to turn four and Madden turns two in July. Time is just flying. That's crazy. And, and how are how are you and Blair holding up? Blair, for those of you who don't know, Spencer's wife, she is also fantastic. How is how is Blair doing too? Because Blair's got her own stuff going on with Post 21 and the clothing line and everything. I would say we're doing well. Um, I think, you know, all things considered with COVID, we've definitely been tested. We've been joyous. We've been, there's been depression here and there, whatnot. I think everybody's experienced the full gamut of emotions over the past year or so. But overall, um, it's been really cool to see my kids growing up before my eyes. I think before COVID, my daily was, you know, waking up at 5.36 o'clock, getting workout in, out the house by 8 o'clock. 8 a.m. and then trying to get back home in time for dinner, you know, to put them down just because it's whether you're on the studio lot with All-American or you're ripping and running across the city um, with meetings, trying to get other projects off the ground. Um, you just didn't realize what you were missing. So for this past year, being here, watching Madden specifically, I know my, my daughter is like almost doubled in size, but when COVID started, Madden was barely talking, wasn't walking or anything. And now he's like climbing upstairs. So it's just been it's been cool to see because I know if I if we didn't have this sort of time to like everybody sit down, I would have missed some of these small moments that I would have never gotten back. Yeah, that's interesting, man. We I have we have a buddy, uh, mutual friend Ryan Khalil, and I was talking to him about this also, and he does kind of the same thing. He does, you know, he he's, he's out in L.A. and he's running around doing different meetings. And this was pre-COVID, and now all of his meetings are on Zoom or over the internet. And so he's at home a lot more with his children and he actually loved it. And he said it was a game changer and he didn't realize what he was missing and then what he was able to be a part of. So I guess maybe just talk a little bit about how that dynamic has been with the kids running during the meetings. I've had my youngest Piper three run into the, you know, live TV show and we just kind of roll with it. And it's been kind of part of everyone's life. So how has that how has that changed your your whole outlook on everything you're doing? Yeah, I think early on I was, you know, I like to be really buttoned up when I have my meetings, you know, lock the door, you know, put on my business hoodie. Um, but for the for the most part, I feel like everybody just agreed after like the first month or two of, of quarantine that we realized we weren't really getting out of this for a while, that it was like, okay, we're gonna allow for like twenty percent, you know you know, casual in these meetings. So it's kids running in, it's, you know, maybe, you know, me literally in the middle of a pitch and then hearing a knock or like something fall on the ground. I'm like, I'll be right back and dip out for two minutes. Um, but I think it allowed everybody to realize like, we're all just like people at the end of the day. Like we're all imperfect. We're all, we're all dealing with so many more things than just this pitch right here or just this meeting right here um, that it actually allowed for people to see each other outside of that workplace, you know, just, just as just a normal person attempting to get it done, just like everybody else. You know, the other thing too, is like, we are all, there's a reason we're working, right? A lot of times you know, we're working to provide for our families. And so I think it's really kind of fun and interesting to see people's whys. I mean, we, we talk about it in football and you know, your why, why are you playing the game or why are you doing the job? And, you know, I, I know for me and I know for, you know, for Spencer and for Dave as well, like that why is our family, right? We, we do love what we do and it is fulfilling, but we, at the end of the day, that, that becomes our why. And, you know, I just, I, I wanted to kind of go back with you um, a little bit because, you know, for those people who have watched All-American, um, 
I'm sure that they're saying, oh, wow, man, I'm sure your life is just exactly like Spencer James on the show, <laughs> where, you know, we know that that's not exactly true. Um, however, however, you, know, you did have multiple male figure role models in your life growing up and in your childhood. And you know, I just would love to you know, kind of get to touch on that a little bit. You know, because, you know, I've met your dad, Donald, um, you know, I've met I met pretty much your entire family at your wedding, um, but you have two two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother, uh, as well as you know a close. I know your grandfather just passed recently, but your uncle as well. So if you mind, just just telling people a little bit about that and, and kind of the different male figures you had uh, growing up. I come from a family of football coaches, uh, baseball and football coaches. My my grandfather, you know, he raised his four boys, um, including my dad in the same house that my dad raised, you know, me and my brothers. Uh, we, we still own that house. We It's it's generational at this point. Um, you know, he, my grandfather coached my dad and his brothers at the same park that my dad coached me, the same park that you see in All-American, uh, Van Ness Park. So it, to me, it all starts with him, you know, seeing my grandfather go from, you know, he worked at, he worked at Howard Hughes until he retired. You know, he moved out from plain dealing down in the south to Michigan, met my, you know, my grandmother, and then moved to Los Angeles during the Great Migration. Came out here by himself, you know, worked up enough money to send for my grandmother and my oldest uncle Carter, and made a life for himself out here. Bought property to the point where, you know, each time my one of my uncles got married, or my dad got married, the family thing was, okay, we're going to pay for your down payment for your home. Like that was a gift. So just seeing things like that instilled in my family to the point where, you know, I always, I don't know how my dad feels about this, but I always say I grew up with four fathers. I only have one mother, but I grew up with four fathers because each one of my uncles poured into me um, just a, just a different thing. You know, obviously my dad is my dad, but at a time when we weren't seeing eye to eye and he, and he wasn't really in the home because he was a, uh, he went to chase his dreams of being a college football coach at, at San Jose State University. Um, that was when I was entering high school and my uncle was a head football coach and that's who Billy Baker is loosely based off of. But he was a, he was a monumental influence in my life in my high school years and my formative years of understanding one, I'm in a new space of, you know, going from South Central and, and now like being in Beverly Hills, but also how to maneuver in these spaces. You know, my other uncle, uh, Vonzi Pacinger, you know, he taught me how to move in that same space as well, just a little bit differently. Uh, and then my other uncle that isn't necessarily tied to sports, um, he's the guy that introduced me to TV and film. You know, every that that weird age where, you know, you're you're too young to like run the streets with your friends, but you think you're too old to to be at home with your parents. He was like, let's go to the movies. Let's go see three uh, movies yes. a day. So it was, you know, spending all summers, like all weekend, popping into any and every movie that we could. So, so that's where you got this. So that's where you got the movie going thing. Because every off day that we had during the during the season, I'd always be like, Spence, what are you doing? You're like, I'm going to the movie theater. Got yeah, movies. exactly. Got movies that, that's where it came from. And like, I was the guy on off days. I was like, I don't want to see anybody. I see you guys six days a week. Get away from me. And that was my refuge was just popping into a movie theater and, and just kind of like letting my mind wander. But uh, it all came from just these positive male role models in my life. You know, my uncles, my grandfather and, and you know, various coaches that I had uh, in my childhood. But I was watching an interview that you did and I 
I think that you called your uncle Coach Carter. Is that right? Yeah. And this was like yeah. several years later. I mean, this is recent. So I know. So my son, Tyler, he, I, we coach him at, in high school. But my my brother is the head coach. And so they have that that same dynamic that you had. And it's really interesting to hear you you call him Coach Carter. And it's like, this is your uncle. And the same thing happens with Tyler. Is like he calls him Coach Darren. Like that's it. And then when he's at home, it's Darren. It's my uncle. It's it's totally different. So I always thought that was really cool to have that um, have that relationship. And I and I assume that going from you know from Crenshaw over to Beverly Hills, where he was able to coach you. I mean, I'm sure that was a help. But but was it also difficult at times? Because I know my son Tyler struggles with it too. Because it's that weird dynamic of the coach is going to be really hard on me because he's my uncle, but I also need him to chill a little bit because I'm a pretty good player. And obviously you're a pretty good player. So how, how was that whole, that whole dynamic? It's interesting to me. Yeah. Well, what was interesting is like, so I, I never went to Crenshaw high. Um, Crenshaw was my home school um, just in terms of jurisdictions. So I was actually, I was technically enrolled in Crenshaw for about two months my freshman year, but at the time, you know, the school district wasn't trying to let any kids with decent GPAs get out of the school district. They want to keep, they wanted to pump the school district GPA, but my mom had the permit from Beverly Hills, you know, everything was signed off. So Crenshaw would call literally every day saying like, Hey, Spencer is absent. If, if he's absent one more day, she's like, he's not going there. Like take him off of your enrollment. So before, I mean, my introduction to Beverly Hills actually dates uh, back to almost like before birth. My dad and two of my uncles were football coaches there back in like the early 90s. So I was a I was a ball boy at Beverly. I was a water boy at Beverly. I would go every Friday, every Friday night. My grandmother, uh, my grandparents would pick me up from my school in Inglewood and we would trek it out to Beverly to do, you know, the family duties. Like my my grandparents would run the concession stands and, and you know, me and my brothers would be the ball boy, water boy. So it got to the point where my brother's three years older than me. He went into Beverly before me and I saw how my uncles treated him. You know, it was nothing was given to you. You know, I, I'm Coach Carter. Or I'm Coach Vonzi. Like, it's nothing like that. So once I got there, I kind of already knew the lay of the land. And there was a, there were definitely times where once I started getting recruited and, and started realizing, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm the best guy on the team. I think, like, oh, we're winning. We're undefeated, you know, halfway through senior season. Maybe I can get a little, la- a little bit lax. No. I got kicked out of practice a couple of times. Ooh, wait, 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 don't skip past that. that. I need to know the story. I need to know <laughs> what the story. What did Spencer do to get kicked out of practice by his uncle? But, but first of all, people who don't know you well, right? Like they're listening to you. Oh man, he's got a really nice, calm voice. Like he could, he could be like co-host with Delilah and put me to sleep. <laughs> but like, but Dave and I know like you are a guy like, yeah, you got like emotions about you, but like you're usually pretty level-headed like on the field. I mean, you can flip that switch, but it doesn't really happen. That's the biggest thing. The biggest difference between what people are seeing with All American and myself is they're they're tweeting, DMing, whatever, like hitting me up, like, "Why are you so mean?" And I'm like, "Why are you so angry all the time?" And I'm like, "That's dramatic effect. That's not who I am in general." It's like, so I remember one time I got kicked off because it was subjective. At that, I will go. I will go down to my grave saying that I was in the right. But for some reason, because we're so we have two judges here. So we're going to we're going to decide. Yeah, no, we'll be the yeah, we'll decide. I was a rover. I was a down safety. And they were like, OK, you got to go from the curl to the flat. 
So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the curl to the flat. But every time I would do it, they were like, no, you have to do it a different way. And I'm like, there's only a couple ways you can do it. And the way you're doing it isn't efficient. Like, why don't I come from death from depth and then crash down into the flat. And they're like, no, get to the flat and then expand up. I'm like, that just doesn't make sense. Like top down. So I guess I messed it up. If you want to call it that two or three he times. And my uncle messed it up with air quotes, air quotes messed up. Yep. Okay. My uncle was like, get off the field, get off the field. And ironically, I think I mouthed off at him because that same day I had my senior photos that I had to go and take. And I was like, I don't need this anyways. <laughs> like, I, that. I knew I was leaving practice early anyways. <laughs> I would prefer as a quarterback that you start really low and then have to work your way back. So technically, in that case, you're right. I'm going to say that. So if if your coach, uncle, and they happen to be listening, I'm sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with now. On the other hand, I've also seen my brother tell my son Tyler to do something completely ridiculous just because he's the coach and he wants to show you know that this is how it goes. And he does it on purpose. And my and my son now has learned, because I've warned him, that you just say, okay, that's right. You know, and then <laughs> that's probably where you were in the air. So I don't know how to, I'm, Mark's going to have to be the decider here. It's kind of turned into a, to a slight to them whenever I, I say like top down, that's them like, shut up. Yeah, <laughs> they're ready to send you off again, still. <laughs> Yes, well, you know, it, it is called curl to flat for a reason, not flat curl. But that's just that's a whole other thing. But continue now, if you if you would like to, if you even remember where you were going with that with the, the high school stuff. Essentially, that's just what it was. Like my uncles always pushed me to be better. Um, they, I think they saw something in me that at one point I didn't see in myself. I'm coming in freshman year, you know, five, six, five, seven. Having never played tackle football, that's something else that's that's different from the show. I, I only played flag, flag football up to that point. And then, you know, that's coming in, what, September 5, 6, 5, 7. But by January, I was six one and a half. So I had grown like seven and a half inches in that four months. Um, so my sophomore year, I was on varsity as a D-end. They were just trying me at different positions, trying to see, you know, what really fit. But it was one of those like... Hey, I wanted to play basketball growing up. I wanted to go to UNC. I wanted to be a two guard, you know, rep Jordan, go to the draft, whatever, do the whole thing. But when I got to Beverly, I saw how much attention to detail my coach, my my uncles put into football. And even my brother, my brother was big man on campus. You know, he was a all-star lineman, scholarship to San Jose State. And I was like, okay, I, it doesn't seem like basketball will get me where I want to go. And I don't really know if football will be that sport for me just yet, but I'm a, I'm going to trust these coaches. I'm going to trust what I've seen my brother do and put my faith in it. And the rest is history. Uh, just real quick, I have to ask this for the people that don't know, because the first thing that I thought of when I saw, when I started watching some of your show, and and even my boys mentioned it, was, so you were born in 88? Yes. I did a little research, Spencer. Okay, so 88. <laughs> yeah. So Fresh Prince of Bel-Air debuted in 1990 and ran for about six years. And so that puts you around eight or nine years old. Now I know your family was already tied into Beverly, but did Will Smith affect your family's decision at all to, to get you out of that area and get you into Beverly? Or maybe your entire family had already started that move, but do you think Will Smith affected that? And have you talked to him about that at all? I have not talked to him. I'm, I'm potentially working on something with his company, fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, I think I think in general that show was so transformative to a lot of kids um, because we were able to see that, much like how we do in All American, we were able to see that there, there aren't there isn't just one version of a young black kid. 
you know, you had you had Carlton, you had Jazz, you had Will that were all representing, you know, these different type of kids. You you know, you had the, you know, the sisters and Ashley and I forget the the older sister's name, uh Hillary. But it was just really cool to see like, oh, I don't have to just be one thing. I don't have to just to, you know, see the drugs and violence on TV that was prominent in, in specifically South Central. Like I remember being in South Central, growing up in this area, knowing that there's a big family element here, knowing that there's a big sports community and, and everybody really like gets behind each other. But all that was being portrayed on TV was, you know, the drugs and violence of the area. So a, a show, a show like Freshman's Bel Air that showed you that you could be different. That's totally fine. Definitely was transformative. But in terms of my family, um, again, that goes back to my grandparents. Like my uncles were actually the the second generation to integrate Beverly Hills High back in the early 70s. Um, and it was literally because the the students of Beverly uh, Hills High in 1969 petitioned the uh, student board or the school board to integrate the school because they felt like they didn't have a realistic view of the world. Mind you, this is the end of the 60s. So it's free love. It's everybody just coming together, um, going against going against uh, the government and whatnot. So Beverly Hills School District, they went around the city and, and tried to find kids that were somewhat socially, you know, and economically the same as the kids in Beverly Hills. And they landed on a few different areas in South Central, which is you know, View Park, Baldwin Hills, uh, Lamert Park, some of those areas that are a little bit more affluent. And it just so happens that my grandmother, like they didn't live in that area, but they went to, my uncles went to school in one of those areas. So that's how they were able to get into Beverly early on. So yeah, my my family roots go back to the 70s when it comes to Beverly Hills High, even the, the weight room is named the Paysinger Family Weight Room. I think that what's really interesting, right, is that you're helping develop and create this show, this story, about football, right? And about your childhood and about growing up through high school. Um, and I think one of the things that's, that's just really interesting just for me knowing you is how big a part football was in your life, uh, but at the same time, how much more there was to Spencer Pacinger uh, outside of football. Even when we were playing together in the early years at the Giants, it was every offseason doing an internship or, or having some creative design or, you know, remembering creating shoes and stuff. So, you know, where did you, where'd you get that, that sense of creativity fostered from uh, growing up? Well, I, I think that's always, always been in me. Um, as a kid, I, I won art competitions, like literally drawing like landscapes and, and things like that. I was really hands-on with arts and crafts as a kid, but I would say truthfully, when it came to like the internships and job shadowing experiences, Two people. I would say my first mentor outside of you know my family, which was a guy named James Harris. It was during my time at Oregon that he came in and he saw me. You know, I was I was doing econ classes. I was kind of bucking against some of the coaches because the coaches are like, "You need to be here," you know, for meetings every day. And I'm like, "Yo, I have a 400 level econ class that's only offered once a week, and it cuts into an hour at this time, and I need this for my." for my major, you know, to graduate. So he kind of saw that um, and was like, hey, you're a little bit different than some of these guys. I, I kind of want to pour into you. So he would give me books to read. He would give me, uh, literally tell me like, hey, come to my office. Here's the address to a coffee shop. I want you to go meet the owner, sit down with him, learn the business that, you know, he's running. To the point where like I, there was a there was one company, uh, Wild Duck Catering in Eugene, Oregon, where every morning before practice, I would have to, go and do their books. So I would do their bank bags, do their accounting and everything that that 
that morning for the previous day's book and make sure everything was straight. I'm talking filling cash registers, filling like slot machines and stuff and getting to practice on time. But it was all because of him. Um, he was a guy that was like, there's something to you and I want to pour into that. The other person is my older brother, Justin. You know, he was a guy at San Jose State University that he was the WAC conference president. Um, he did so much for the conference and the school that when he had to medically retire, the school was like, pick a, a master you want to do and we'll pay for it just because you've done so much for us. So I think having those two examples uh, and my brother actively telling me like, yo, this is how you should move when you get to college and beyond. Um, I just kept it up once I got to the once I got to the league, like football. You know me, like we used to pass notes to each other, sit next to each other in, in the film room. Like football is is fun and it got us to where we are today. But we were talking about so many other things. And this is the best. <laughs> we we were so rookie year, even our second year. So Spencer and I, so we're in a linebacker room. Uh, and there's four rookies in that linebacker room. And then there's you know, two older guys. And, and really, the two older guys played significantly. And, and each each one of us kind of rotated in. But we're you know on special teams at, mostly. So, although we did know our playbook and we studied it intensely, while we were in the actual meeting rooms, we passed notes back and forth. We wrote jokes down on paper. We, we did draw little drawings. Like, so Spencer, you're left-handed, right? If I, yeah. if I don't, yeah. Yeah. So I'm right-handed. So, okay. So we have the one piece of paper in between us <laughs> and I'm like doodling <laughs> something and then yeah. I stop and then he like finishes the doodle or, you know, we keep track of how many times the coach says like the one word that we're like, and that's why we've played for seven years. Cause we, cause we made sure we took it so seriously every single day. <laughs> Every so serious day. so serious you kept yourself sane though you have to do that <laughs> yeah no you have to somehow find a way to gamify the game because football coaches are crazy they, they're, they're just insane. crazy they make it way too intense and we're we're basically hired guns like we're we're mercenary we know how to do our job we don't have to be we don't have to sit in there for four hours and have you lecture us on how to do our job just Tell us what the play is. We'll we'll figure it out. We'll make it happen. So the rest of the time, just doodle. Exactly. I agree. Exactly. I, I think if you if you can find, if I can find some of my old Giants playbooks, there's a doodle or a message or an inside joke on every single page. Like I would be scared if our if our coaches ever saw like the inside of our books because they'd be like, what the are you doing? Oh my God. <laughs> well, and there were times too where we'd like, I would misplace my book and I'd be like, my life's over. I'm gonna lose my job. Like <laughs> there's a drawing of my coach my there. Yeah, favorable light. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is gonna be bad. But and so like, okay, so football provided so much for all three of us, right? And still does for all three of us. You know, we're we're still working around that area in that space, telling stories through football. But football is also in the show, right? It talks about different stress areas of, of just being a teenager, but also through football. You know, just talk to me a little bit too about how you know, kind of how football provided stress points, provided, you know, different things for you where, look, I got to get out of my comfort zone and not necessarily in a good way. Like sometimes it's, it's in a tough way, but those are lessons that, that we learn that now we're able to filter them right now that we're looking back at them and then pass some of these lessons down to our children. I know, and, and I know, you know, Cairo's only four, right. And, but there's still time. I mean, there's still like room in that four years to pass some of these lessons down what what things from football do you think you've been able to kind of take and say look it, this this is something that i i need to make sure i instill in my kids um at least at some point before they're adults yeah i think um and it sounds weird to say this but 
to me, the one thing I want to teach my kids is like, there are limits. Like there are limits to your happiness. There are limits to your joy. There are limits to, into how much you want to push yourself for something that you may not a hundred percent care about. And I'm not saying I, I'm not saying I didn't love football. I, I would have ran through a brick wall at one point for football, but I remember specifically it was, and, and I think you guys were both there that um, 2000, I want to say 13, 14 season. It was our third year when I was starting Mark. Um, and we were like, zero and six going into the going, I mean, halfway through the season, it felt like, and that's the year we got John Beeson. Um, and we almost turned things around. I mean, we were like one game away from like getting back into playoff hunt, but out of nowhere, I got kind of thrusted into this starting position as a, as a starting, uh, uh, will backer with the headset and everything. And for two years before that, I had been a reserve linebacker, mainly on special teams and was having the time of my life. I was like, this is this is who I am. I'm totally fine being a special teams linebacker. But when you get into the NFL, you oftentimes think like, okay, the goal in the NFL is to get a starting position, is to be the starting linebacker, be that guy to say you're the starting linebacker or whatever position you are on that team. But I realized during that like no win first part of the season and all this stress was on me and I'm, I'm getting like Antro role is trying to have these like one-on-one conversations with me every day. And Justin Tuck is throwing like inspirational quotes my way. And by the way, I'm fully receiving it all because these guys have done it. Like these guys are like, I still call Tuck cap, like playfully. Like those are guys I, I will always pick up their phone call. But in that moment, I really was realizing like, hey, I'm not sure I want to be a starting linebacker in the NFL. And that was a realization to me because I really tried to fight that because I was like, no, this is the goal. You get to the NFL, you get a shot at a starting spot, and you don't give it up. But the more stress that I was put under and, you know, uh, Coach Fuel, like, kind of like under-talking me in front of everybody, and it just, it just felt too much to handle. And I don't know if I was prepared enough to handle that. So when John Beeson came and kind of alleviated me from, from that situation to where I can really just focus on being the will backer. You know, not having to carry the defense, not having to make every check, but then also being, you know, still pretty, pretty good on special teams. That's when I was like, this is my route. Like, this is fine for me to be a reserve linebacker slash like special team starter. And, you know, we we cut our teeth on that, Mark. Like we're in the, we're in the league for seven, eight years because we know we were forces on special teams. But the common notion is get to the NFL, you start, you get the hundred million dollar contract and you walk away. I had some of my best moments, some of my most confident plays were on special teams because I knew this is the version of me that can help the team the most. Yes, I can be that reserve linebacker and get in there on and, and spell one of the starters for a couple plays while he gets a drink of water or if there's an injury that goes down. I know I can do my job hands down. But the best part of me was being a special teams linebacker. And that's something I want to instill in my kids. It's like, yo, it's, a, it's, okay. it's okay to change your goals. It's okay to to reevaluate once you're in that door, once you see the landscape that you've been trying to get to. Maybe it doesn't look like how you want it to look like. Maybe it doesn't fulfill you as much as it does. It's okay to change your goals and to see like there are different frontiers out there. You don't want to see yourself as a failure just because you got there and didn't like what you saw. So I think that's one that's one of the biggest things is just just always being able to be okay recalibrating your goals. I think that's so important for I think not just for you and for people as professionals and fathers, but for to train your children that way, because so many times in, in this life, we're told that if you're not a raging success, then you're a complete failure. 
Mm-hmm. And if you don't reach the absolute mountaintop, then why did you even try? And I think that that story is so important for, for kids and parents to hear is it really is about, I mean, almost in the situation that you're in, you felt more comfortable being in a role of serving your team and serving your team outside of maybe your own aspirations or getting a hundred million dollar contract or being whatever you would be in that linebacker role. You felt like your worth was in helping the team and I'm comfortable in this spot and I can do my best here and we're going to be successful. And I think that if more people took that and instilled that in their children, we would be in a much better place than getting kids. I mean, how many of them are going to be that hundred million dollar linebacker? I mean, very few, right? Very few. And you two are two of the best that have ever done it and, and didn't achieve that. So think about all the kids that would listen to this or that are being pushed in that direction. And that's, that's why I think that's so important for dads to hear is because there's so much pressure for your kid to be an all-star or for your child to be the absolute best. And they're not all going to be there. But what you can do is foster a, an environment for them to be as successful as you are sitting here now and as comfortable as you are being able to tell that story and, and still being able to do what you love to do every day. I think it's, it's super important. I would love to just dig a little bit deeper, but are there ways you've done that with your kids so far? I mean, kids are the epitome of, hey, I want to try this, but I don't know how to do it, right? And then they sulk and they hang their head. Or yeah, but, but my, my son, Boston, right now, he's almost three. Uh, actually, this is kind of interesting. Boston and Cairo, they share. So is her birthday the 16th or the 15th? 15th. 15. So they share a birthday just one year apart. Exactly. Which is blew my brain off when I realized it, but, (laughs) but anyway, so he's trying to make baskets, right? And he misses and he's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. But the, the, the idea of practice is so foreign to these little kids. How how have you kind of instilled that in your daughter and your son to this point? Yeah. So we, we've really implemented the idea of sometimes, um, and that's something that we, that's a word, that's a phrase that we've coined that we've, we've, didn't know what we had until we realized that she started taking to us, uh, my daughter Cairo. Um, but we would say she would build she would build blocks and she loves these pink building blocks, you know, these huge Legos, and she likes to build them really high to the point where there's no way they're gonna sustain, they're just naturally gonna fall. And every time they would fall, she would she would just kick them around and ah, I'm I, you know, I they fell again, whatnot. And we would just tell her, like, hey, sometimes they fall, sometimes they don't. You know, if they if they don't fall, great. If not, guess what? You get to build it again. Wasn't it fun building it again? And that's when she starts to realize like, oh yeah, it's fun. Like even when she's playing with, you know, her little brother, she thinks everything is hers, obviously. Like she's in that phase of the the world is mine and everybody's just, you know, inhabiting it, but this is my world. So when he's playing with something that she wants or whatnot, we just say, hey, sometimes he plays with it, sometimes you play with it. And for some reason, that really struck a chord with her to where she gets it immediately. If we said it a different way, she would still be trying to buck up against him. But the idea of sometimes of, of showing her that like, we can all have this, it's just a matter of what time we can have it. Somehow, some way she was able to understand that. And we've been right. We told her teachers that. We told like other parents that might be around the kids, like, hey, have y'all used sometimes before? Uh, it's just been something <laughs> I that, like that. It's, it's sometimes that something that, that caught on. I will be using sometimes because it, 
Because it's true. I mean, and and I think that kids can understand sometimes, right? Rather than you explaining gravitational pull to them about the building blocks, <laughs> like some you see the base is too narrow. That's what happened here, right? Yeah. See, you know, if you start with a start with a bigger foundation, and and you know, you plant roots through the table. But I think sometimes it just makes sense. I think that's I think that's awesome. I mean, they kids. I guess right now, like kids work in absolutes. So it's either I can have it all or I can have it never. And I think introducing sometimes it's like, well, since I can't have it all, I can have it 50% of the time. Okay, great. That's that's totally fine. I'll do that instead of anything's better than nothing. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a small win for us. Right. It leads to them asking, hey, dad, can I build the blocks right now? Hey, dad, can the, you know, and when it's sometimes not all the time or never, then you lead that curiosity. Okay. Am I allowed to have permission to do this now? Hey, am I allowed to go across the street, dad? Yes, now you can, right? Because we looked and checked and there are no cars, but you can't just do it by yourself. So, I mean, I'd be interesting too, because you and Blair, I'm sure that you guys have, you know, have, have your arguments and everything, but you guys are awesome together. And I think that you're really kind of tackling parenting head on together. So I just, I just would love to hear it. You know, if there's any moments or anything where you guys, you know, pre-kids or when the kids were really little, like discuss these type of things, or if they're just kind of developed as you go along? I think it's a mixture of both. Um, the basis of, of me and, and B's relationship is like, yo, this isn't a competition. Um, we, we've seen that in other relationships. We've seen both of our parents aren't together anymore, have been divorced for, for various reasons. And I think we just learned from, from what we saw and what we didn't see. You know, that we have you know, certain rules in the house to wear. And then sort of unwritten, like, B knows she never has to touch the trash or take the trash out. She knows that's my job until the kids are old enough and it's going to be their job. Can't wait for that. Um, but there are just certain, there are certain things. Um, and I, those are things that I learned from, from my grandparents of like, I remember growing up and seeing my grandmother, the, the trash could be overflowing and my grandmother would never touch it because she's like, no, your grandfather takes out the trash. That's just what it is. And it's not, you know, patriarchy versus whatever. It's not that. It's just understanding that, you know, there are certain things that, you know, I would love to take off of my wife's plate it's just so she doesn't have to worry about. So it's that. It's it's not feeling like there's a competition, not feel like we're we're battling for our kids' affection, you know, doing the whole like, oh, mommy didn't do this, but dad did this, so you love me more, you know. We don't do that because we realize, like, I tell this to a lot of expecting fathers when we have those conversations. I'm sure you guys all, you guys have maybe one or two friends that maybe are having kids or whatnot right now. But those first couple months of, of having a, an infant, I always tell the dad, I'm like, listen, you're Pippin, she's Jordan. Like, you, it's your job to like take as much off of her plate as possible so she can focus on being Jordan. But at the end of the day, both of them are in the Hall of Fame. Like Pippen is still a top, what, 20 player ever. Obviously, Jordan is one or two, whatever, however you want to think about it. But I really felt like explaining it that way, one, bringing sports into it, bringing icon, Hall of Fame guys into it, realizing, like, I don't have to be Jordan when it comes to my kid. Like, I'm totally fine propping up my wife, allowing her to be Jordan while I can just, you know, be 33. You'll have your time to be Jordan. I'm sure Kyra looks at you like you are just... I mean, the best thing in the world. You know what I mean? Oh, like, it's amazing. Like, it's amazing. I mean, <laughs> I, I my my daughter's, 
She's not doing that yet. She still thinks I'm hilarious, but she's five months old. So that we're we're not getting to that point. <laughs> it's yet. gas. Yeah. It's just gas. <laughs> right. Right. It's just gas. But I'm but I'm looking forward to the time when when get the, you know you get that look. I mean, I'm I, at the phase now where like all these little toys and stuff are getting broken, and I can fix the little toys. So she's like, "Daddy can fix it," and I'm like, wow. "Yeah." I only got I only got like four or five more years before she gets into like some tech stuff that I'm like we have to take this to Apple Care. <laughs> but right now, right now I'm like, you know I'm gonna fix that for you. Like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that for you. So. Keep your super super glue supply stock. Exactly, exactly. I got my little like ranch, all that stuff. I'm like I can get this, but in a couple years now we're gonna have to outsource. That's right. By that time you'll have a good base of dad can fix everything. And if it's okay, it's okay that sometimes we have to take it to Apple Care. Sometimes I'll, I'll call my dad like when my when my daughter's like, "Can you fix them?" I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dad, how do I fix this? I'll do this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I man. Got it. <laughs> I was putting a playhouse together for my three year old for her birthday, and I got to the level. So it was supposed to be a forty five minute deal, and it's what it says on YouTube, right? So I'm eight hours into this thing, and my dad comes <laughs> over and he sees that I'm stressed, and the birthday party's in like a day and a half. And he just stayed there. He's like, I got you. But you don't even have to tell her that I helped you. And I was like, that's what dads are for. Yeah, exactly. He helped me finish exactly. it. And then he just walked. He just disappeared. You know? And he was like, yeah. you got it, man. I'm like, all right. You exactly. saved my life. That's amazing. Yeah, that's what dads are for. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Cool. I'm sure, you know, Spence, you call your dad. And he's like, oh, I got to call you right back because I got I to gotta call my brother. I got to call someone else. <laughs> you know, we, we all learn how to do something from somebody else, right? That, yeah. That's, that's always the way it goes until YouTube came around. And now we can watch YouTube and figure out how to build stuff. But I mean, it's key. And I think it's so, it's so cool. And it goes back to the fact that, look, you, you yes, you, you were raised by your father because he was there and he was present, which is fantastic. However, you, I mean, your uncles and your grandfather and your older brother, it's, it's just so cool. But you also had that role a little bit too with your younger brother, Cameron, and you, you know, essentially were a role model for them and helped raise him as well. It, kind of what was that dynamic like growing up and you know, how did that prepare you for having kids of your own? Because I think it's just, it's a little bit different. I would tell you like my, my little brother was my first kid. And I know me and him even joke about that because that came about at a time. My, my little brother Cameron is seven years younger than me, 10 years younger than my older brother. So early on, you know, my, my older brother is heading off to college when he's 17, 18 years old. And my little brother's only seven or eight years old. So he didn't really grow up knowing my older brother in the same household as him. So for you know, his ele his elementary, middle school years, like it was just me and him because my dad was coaching away and it was just me, him and my mom. So early on before my dad like left for that stint, we hated each other. I was I was like, <laughs> why is this kid here? I'm the I'm the like baby of the family. Like you're taking my spot. Um, I actually named him when he was born, which was like, all right, I guess I'm gonna name you if you're going to be here. But that switch of it's good confidence too for your parents to let a seven-year-old name their child. I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's bold. That switch came about when I realized, like, okay, I have to, you know, I have to kind of be the man of the house right now. It was also like how I treat my wife. Like I wanted to take as much off of my mom's plate as possible. Cause I know she was dealing with, you know, her own like marital issues while also trying to raise two more kids by herself at this point. So I was like, you know what? Like let's just be cool to each other. Like, let's not fight every day. Let me not try to like get you in trouble. I'm going to be there for you. Yeah, we still had our arguments or whatever, but it helped me grow up a little bit sooner than maybe I'd wanted in the moment. But in hindsight, it helped me prepare for everything I'm going through right now is because it allowed me to just understand and see firsthand 
you know, how to care for somebody that's not yourself, how to how to extend your empathy to a whole other person when you didn't really have to. You mentioned just it kind of makes you grow up a little bit before maybe you're supposed to. But at the same time, you know, it, it prepares you for what you're going through now. I think that's really I think it's really insightful. I always get worried, right? It's like, oh man. Am I, am I trying to make, obviously my son's only two, but am I trying to make him grow up too fast? Did I get made grow up too fast when I was younger? Um, and I always, you can tell when people maybe had to grow up too fast because they they can't be fun. Like they can't be silly. They can't be goofy. Mm-hmm. That's not you, right? You can be, <laughs> I've seen you be silly and goofy. Like has that kind of come back out again now that you have little kids and like little kids are just, the silliest, goofiest little things. Yeah, and you know, I so in order to get down on their level and play with them, you got to get there. Like, I would just. Do you have any examples of times where you've just gotten there? Like, you've just gone full goofy. Like, you went. You never go full goofy, but you went full goofy. Yeah, almost, almost daily. Like, you know, I always say when it when it comes to my wife is like, if we want to like help raise them, we got to meet them where they are. So we can go into their world of understanding things that are happening around them, but they like literally can't come into our world. Yeah, we can sit them down and explain to them, you know, why the world is the way it is. But at the end of the day, they're just like, I want to watch Coco Melon and PJ Mask. Bro, Coco Melon, just side note, Coco Melon, there's got to be something about that show because Boston, he'll watch other shows and like he likes them, but then Coco Melon gets on and it's like, there is no communicating it to him when Coco Melon is on. Yeah. It's amazing. Like even, even Sesame Street, my son's like, all right, that's cool. I'm going to still do something over here, but I, I know it's on. Coco Melon, he is sitting down intent. It, it is crazy. But like, it's just that. It's meeting them where they are. It's, oh, we're playing dragons right now. I'm going to be the best dragon you've ever seen. Last night, we're playing Transform. We're, Give me your we're best dragon right now. Give me your best dragon. Nope. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> Exclusive no, to See? them. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Save it for but, them. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's just that it's, you know, if you're, if you're playing with them, you know, it, it's staying off of your phone um, while you're playing with them. It's getting on the floor, letting them climb on you. Like the, my fun, my favorite thing with, with my daughter back when she was like one, two years old is even if I had the longest day possible, I'm talking out by 7 a.m., back by like 8 o'clock and she's you know about to go to sleep, I would just come home and just lay down on the floor and just be like a log. And that was enough for her to climb all over me, try to pick up my chin and everything. It was just like, I'm meeting her where she is. So it's, it's that. If you want to be a dragon, if you want me to be a monster, if you want me to be a ghost or anything like that, I'm going to do it because we get paid in smiles from them like they don't have to oh. do anything from us like, wait wait say that again that's just I mean, what it is that's good we get paid in smiles our kids pay us in smiles facts so when you see that when you see that smile when you see like the joy on their face it's it's an energy shot straight to the veins like it that's exactly what it is so you just you try to get as many as as possible a day. Okay, so maybe maybe a dragon is not your superpower. Maybe you <laughs> this crazy dragon is not, but maybe it is. But we don't know. We're not going to get to find out. But if you had, if you had a superpower, and and maybe it's just your kids think that you have this superpower. What do you think? What do you think that would be? I think my superpower is I, I am very self aware. 
um, when it when it comes to and that's that's for good or for good or bad. But you know, I'm able to specifically with my wife, I'm able to talk to her about if I'm feeling great, if I just had a meeting, a project's getting set up somewhere, and I feel amazing. Talking to her when that happens, but also talking to her when I'm like, hey, I don't feel really, I don't feel like myself today. I feel I'm in my head right now. I'm feeling a little insecure. Um, you know, and just just un- just understanding that that's just going to be life. I, I feel like a lot. The reason why I, I said I have self awareness is because of, it's just because of that. It's it's understanding that sometimes I'm gonna have to do some things for myself that, in order for me to be to be a better husband, to be a better father, I have to kind of be selfish in my in my self care, in my self healing. Because, I mean, we're Mark. We're what two three years retired from the NFL. D, I, I'm, when did you retire? Been a while, man. Six, seven years, maybe. Six, exactly. Yeah. So, I, I still tell people. That a lot of people say, "Oh, you, you know, you see the show on the air. You see things that you're doing. Like, oh, you've you've done a great transition out of the NFL." I'm like, "No, I'm still transitioning. Every now and then, I still feel the need to wake up at five thirty and throw weights around. I still feel the need to like to work out twice a day or to or to get competitive every now and then. But then there's other times where I'm like, I don't want to touch a weight for months on end. So. It's just understanding that I don't. I'm. We're probably not ever going to be fully transitioned out of the NFL, but it's understanding that that's okay. And if and if you're open, if you're able to talk about it, it just makes it that much easier. You don't have to bottle that up anymore. Like I'm. I'm. Mark. You guys know me. I'm not the like machismo. Like oh, we got to grind today. Like I'm like no. I am. I want to be pampered today. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> I think the self awareness is good, man. That's uh. It's it's something that I think a lot of dads. You know, we don't. We don't really have anyone to complain to or to just tell anyone how we're feeling because no one cares at the end of the day, right? Like, I mean, other than our wives, our kids, they're just going to make us feel good. You know, like you come home from a tough day, you lay on the floor, you're the log for your daughter and she's totally happy with that. And it makes you feel great. But to be self-aware and to be able to express that to people is super important. Even if it's other dads, your friends, your wife, I think that's crazy important because if you don't do that, then you end up bottling all that up and then it just, it comes out in the wrong ways, you know, and then your kids are going to suffer. Your wife's going to suffer. So that's, that's, that's super cool, man. It's really good. And what you're doing by doing that and and by, you know, talking it out in front of your kids about doing some of the things that fulfill you in front of your kids, it, it teaches your kids by example, that self-awareness is key to being able to understand what you need, right? Like, I have a, I have so much trouble a lot of times being self-aware. Like I wish I had that superpower because I'm like, I feel bad, but I can't go much farther than just saying bad. Like what, what is making me feel bad? What, what is like the extra thing that I need right now in my life or need to do or need to get rid of out of my life to make me not feel bad. Right. So I think that that it's, it is absolutely a, a superpower, a dad superpower and something that you can you can raise your kids on that too. Say, look, this is one thing I need. Even now, I think if uh, they might be down here, actually. So I have I have notebooks um, dedicated to each one of my kids, and or journals, I should say. And I don't write in them every day, uh, but every now and then, when I get, I always wait for that moment of to be compelled to write them because I feel like. If I'm able to do this, you know, three or four times a year, maybe more, dating it and talking about what I feel in that moment, if you compile that, you know, 15, 20 years, hopefully I'm able to give each one of my kids 
you know, two or three volumes of journals dedicated specifically to them. So then they can go back and see that their dad was Spencer. You know, one thing for me growing up is I never saw my, I, I never really felt my parents' dream. I never, I never felt their aspirations. I always felt their, you know, the troubles. I felt the, you know, the creditors. I felt the avoidance of, of just trying to get by. I didn't want that. I didn't want that growing up. So uh, when I when I came into uh, adulthood slash fatherhood, so I realized like when I had my daughter, it was the first time I saw my parents as Autumn and Donald Pacinger, not mom and dad. You know, we all we just look at our parents and they're like, right, oh, you're just right. mom and dad. Like you guys are you guys have been parents all of my life. So yeah, what what were you doing when you were twenty? So my wife started doing it, started journaling to each one of them separately, and then I picked it up shortly after. Um, but it's all an attempt to show them like, hey, mom and dad are Blair and Spencer, and we will have fun together. We will coach you. We will teach you. We will have fun or whatever. But like there are certain things that we probably can't talk to you right now because you're too young, but we want you to know when you get older. So I tell them, I mean, in the book, I, in those journals, I talk about like specific moments that they're going through. Like like literally one word things like, hey, you had so much gas today. And she'll know, she'll, Cairo will know February 17, 2019, like, oh, that was a gassy day for me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but then the other ones are like two or three pages of like putting some of my thoughts and like, you know, it's almost therapeutic for me because I'm talking about like, hey, Cairo, like I didn't feel good today because blah, blah, blah. So, you know, if you're ever in this position, you know, make sure you do this instead because, you know, learn from me or whatnot. But then I'm also talking about like, hey, these are things I don't know. These are things I, I can't wait to teach you or I, I'm going to learn myself so I can teach you. Um, so I'm just hoping that when they read that, when they if we can get to that point where I can give it to them in 15, 20 years, as like a graduation present or something. Um, they will have sort of sort of a, a written history of my perception of them since they were babies. That's awesome. Yeah. Every every time we do one of these, Dave, uh, there there's something that the other person says that I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to start doing that. That's <laughs> no doubt, thing. no doubt. Or 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 I know that Melody is going to hear it, my wife, and she's going to be like, why don't you do that? And so I'm going to start doing it before she's able to hear it. And there you go, smart. The game. Just backdate, just backdate. Start that's right. That's, <laughs> yes, that's right. exactly. There you go. There, that's there's right. a, and there's a dad cheat code for you too. Backdate. <laughs> backdate. Start the journal yet? And your child's 14. Just go ahead and backdate yeah. that sucker. Leave yeah, the if it's leather, just leave it outside for two weeks. Let it get weathered. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> or go to YouTube. You can figure out how to make leather look really old. No, we, there you we got go. It. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I've been doing this my entire life. This was actually from when I was seven. <laughs> yeah, why does this book on the back say copyright 2021? I don't understand. <laughs> That's fine. Don't worry about that, son. Oh, that's awesome. So, but, in, you know, we're, we're kind of getting wrapping up here, unfortunately, because, I mean, we could talk to you all day about being a dad. I'm learning a lot uh, and going to implement me too. But one thing we like to do, um, because as you said, one day your kids are going to want to know, right? They're going to want to know who Spencer Pacinger was in 2020, in 2021, right? And so maybe they'll listen to this one day. Uh, I know, you know, I'm sure your wife will listen to this too, but we just say kind of one thing uh, and maybe a story that, about each of your kids and your wife that a reason why you're proud of them, right? Why you're proud to be their husband, her husband, and why you're proud to be their father. I'll start with my wife. I am, I'm, I'm so proud to be your husband because you, I, you bring out the best in myself, which allows me to pour into you. You understand me on a level that I don't think anybody has ever understood me. 
and you see where I want to take us and you're along for the ride. You're like, strap in, I'm the navigator, we're going to the moon. For my kids, for Cairo, I love the fact that you're so headstrong. You're a Taurus, so you're hard-headed at times and that bucks against me. I mean, I'm a, I'm a gentle cancer, um, but I never want you to lose that. I never want you to lose that that personality because your your drive, your 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 push, everything about you like is forward facing. So just never lose that. I mean, for my for my son Madden, um, we're you're technically born in the same moon system as me, sun and moon system. Like we literally have the same astrological like signs, like moon rising, all that stuff. Uh, and I see it in him. I see it in you. Um, you're gentle. You're calm. You're just you're down with some just good vibes. You you've never met a beat that you didn't like. So just keep that up. Like don't don't feel like you have to be your sister. Don't feel like you have to force the issue on anything. Um, it seems like you're taking life as it comes to you, and just always always manifest that. I love that, and they're gonna love to hear that. And. We shared a desk in the meeting rooms. We sat next to each other in the locker rooms. Um, we were in each other's weddings. Um, but I got to say, it, this is one of my favorite conversations I've had with you because I get to dive into what's, what matters most, right? Is being a father um, and, and being a husband. And so Dave and I, it's funny, we'll listen back to this and we'll, we'll, we'll discuss it. But I, I know that we're going to say, man, gosh, man, Spencer's such... Such an awesome guy. I, I, the things that you've accomplished, right? It, it's why people say, man, your transition out of football is so easy. You got, you have a coffee shop, two or three locations. You got a, a, your own show out. You, you've had some, you know, you've produced yourself, uh, you know, a short series. I mean, you've done so many things, but I think that um, you are a guy that puts his cape on to be a superhero when he goes home. You know, a lot of guys are going to put that cape on to go out to their profession or go out to their job or go out to other people. Um, but you you put that cape on to go back to your family. And I think that that's, it's recognized uh, and it's much appreciated. So thank you so much for being a guest on this and uh, can't wait to binge the rest of All America. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Mark, another great conversation, and hopefully it wasn't just encouraging to me and you, but it was encouraging to the listeners, and they were able to take just some nugget that helps them become better fathers. And really, when it comes down to it, you know, as we're surrounded with just being a superhero outside of the home, hopefully it encourages us as fathers to throw that cape on when we get out of our truck and into the garage and climb back into our house, because really that's when your job starts. As a, as a father and as a husband. So hopefully it encourages them and people around that are listening to check out some more of this information and some more conversations that we've had. So where can they go? Yeah, absolutely. On Instagram, it's at the superhero dads, at the superhero dads. And then also on Twitter at, at superhero underscore dads. Check out our Love YouTube it. page, check out our social media handles. On our social media handles, we'll have links to all the books referenced in this podcast, all the videos referenced in this podcast, and ways to reach out to someone if you really enjoyed their conversation and what they had to say. So thank you guys so much. This is the Superhero Dad Podcast. <laughs>